I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 76 with guest Terry Cole. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 76. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host. The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. As always, I'm very excited about today's episode of the podcast. I met Terry Cole at Soul Camp. We were actually bunkmates, and I, I knew her. I followed her on social media beforehand, and I was just so excited to be able to hug her in real life and get to know her a little better, and I um, made her come on my podcast. <laughs> I was like, you have to come and talk to my people. She's just amazing. So here's a little bit about Terry. Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, transformation coach, and an expert in turning fear into freedom. For almost two decades, Terry has empowered many individuals, including celebrities and professional athletes alike, through television, radio, her popular TEDx talk, workshops, and online courses that redesign limiting mental beliefs to create extraordinary lives. Terry's struggles, which you will hear about in the podcast, Combine practical psychology, Eastern mindfulness practices, and harnessing the power of intention to create sustainable change. Terry was a weekly radio show on on Hay House Radio and writes regularly for publications such as the Huffington Post, Positively Positive, The Daily Love, and has been featured in Italian L and Origin Magazine, to name a few. Terry was honored to be nominated for a Weebly Award and to be included in the top 100 bloggers to watch. Terry's podcast, Hello Freedom, debuted in September 2015 and provides sage advice and practical strategies to create more freedom in all areas of your life. And I just wanted to quickly mention, y'all, my book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, uh, is on sale still through the holidays. You can get a you can get it on Amazon, faux show, easy peasy, but you can or in Barnes and Noble across the United States and abroad. But if you want a signed, personalized signed copy from moi, you can go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 52, and it is only 15 bucks, and that includes shipping to U.S. only. So if you don't live in U.S. and you want a personalized signed copy, just let us know. There's information right there on that page, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 52. We'll send you a quote for shipping, but 
They make really great gifts. I've already sent out a boatload of them to you guys who are taking advantage of this deal, and that is going on. Um, so if you want it before Christmas, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want it before Christmas, get your ass over there and get one, okay? And without further ado, here is Terry. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another edition of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. I'm here with the lovely Terry Cole on episode 76, and hey, Terry, I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Andrea. Thanks for having me, Mama. Yeah. We had some... I did one of my... my. You're so sweet, too. You're so great. I'm so glad it was with you because when we had our... Well, I should say when I had my mishap the other day when I totally spaced on our appointment, mm-hmm. that was one of my unwanted identities coming true. And I talk about that with my people. Ooh, <laughs> tell me. Well, I know. Just just jump right into the deep end. Um, <laughs> I work... Well, I do the work of Dr. Brene Brown, it's based mm-hmm. on her research. I'm certified to do her work. And one of the exercises that we do, and you'll be very familiar with this as a trained psychotherapist, unwanted identities are the things that like are our nightmare to be perceived as this, fill in the blank, yeah. Yeah. like is our worst nightmare. And it and it makes us vulnerable to shame. And as an online business owner, life coach, one of my unwanted identities is to be seen as incompetent, unprofessional, mm-hmm. unorganized. And when I spaced on our appointment, because it was in the afternoon, I'll let my listeners know, I, I rarely schedule anything when my kids are home after school, and I did. So I was like outside throwing the ball with the dog and my daughter, and I see him <laughs> like, who called me on Skype? Oh, shit. <laughs> right, right. 3.06 p.m. So it's like that panic sets in. But it was great because I knew what was happening. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this is one of my unwanted identities. I'm okay. The world yeah. isn't going to fall apart. <laughs> Nope, it's not. <laughs> and luckily, you're sweet and didn't judge me. So and thank how you. about human and do it myself at times? Right, right. I know. So I'm... I fully understand that. It's funny. I had this happen with someone who actually is a, fr- a friend twice. I still haven't interviewed her because I literally stood her up twice to interview her <gasps> for my for my. And I was like, what the hell is wrong? Do I not want her? She's like an award-winning <laughs> author. Like, what is my problem? So, yeah, I completely – at least she didn't do it twice to me. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I, I did. I made it this time. And But it's that – everyone knows, like, that moment of panic. And it's more like, oh, my God, what is this person going to think of me? Like, <laughs> and, and like you're saying, like, what am I doing? How could I be so stupid? And so what I try to teach people is when you find yourself going into those moments – is to practice self-compassion. And that's what I did. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you for being here. And I, I kind of jumped us into the deep end right from the get-go. But I'd like to back up a minute. And I'd love for you to tell us your fear story. And what I mean by that is I was, I was reading on your – I think it was your about page about your former career. And then something really scary happened to you and your husband that brought you to what you say, get your PhD in fear. So can you tell right. us that story? Sure. Um, I was a talent agent, um, so I was representing, like, negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities, mm-hmm. and I knew I needed to not be doing that anymore, but I was kind of afraid to leave, so I finally bit the bit the bullet and decided I was going to go, and as I was graduating from grad school, um, the single most important defining experience of my life happened, and I met the man who would become my husband, Victor. Good old Vic. Was. Good old Vic, and... Um, so as I'm leaving this career, so so the beginning of the fear really was just having the courage to leave a very lucrative career that nobody understood why I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd worked very hard to become very successful at a young age. I was in my early 30s. I was running a bi-coastal talent agency. 
Um, but I, I wasn't happy. I, I was chasing a feeling that I thought like the money and the prestige and the shininess Status. was going to give me. But then when I finally got to the top of that heap and that, that feeling wasn't there, I was like, wow, like I just have to not do this anymore. Cause I felt like I was a part of a problem, mm-hmm. like the misogynistic stuff in in um, the modeling world and all of that. So I meet Vic as I'm basically now going from making a zillion dollars a year to making pretty much none. And I am going to start my practice. And I never thought I wanted to get married, actually, before meeting Vic. And then somehow, you know, on paper, he was widowed, divorced, had three angry acting out teenage sons, lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And if you're not from the Northeast, you might not know that that's probably a place you don't want to live when I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. (laughs) A little bit of a change. Yeah. So on paper, it was all like, wow, really? But once once we connected, I was like, oh, I don't I live anywhere. You could have 47 teenagers. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like you're my person. So, I mean, pretty quickly I, I got in there, you know, and I'd say within the first like three months that Vic and I were together, my father dropped dead suddenly of a heart attack. Oh, wow. He wasn't sick. He was only 61. So that was very distressing. I'd really never had anyone that close to me die. But, you know, we get through it. And then about two months after my father's sudden death, um, I'm cleaning out his house with my sisters in Florida and I find this lump in my throat and I call my mother, even though she's not a doctor, but she kind of thinks she is. Mm-hmm. And so she said, oh, I know what that is. It's, it's nothing. It's just a goiter. Like it's some thyroid thing. Just go to the doctor. So obviously it wouldn't be a story if it was just a goiter. So <laughs> just it, a goiter. That, that it, should be the title of your next book, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's just a goiter. Just a goiter. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't a goiter. It was a malignant tumor the size of a plum. So I get diagnosed with cancer early on in this relationship. And, you know, basically I'm still super optimistic and it's fine because that's my personality. I'm like, okay, well, I have these kids to help because they were all the kids needed to get, you know, everyone got into therapy right away. So I have the surgery, radiation. Okay, fine. On to the next. Now, I get a clean bill of health from the medical world. And yet my intuition is telling me that something is still wrong. Mm. So, you know, of course the doctors are like, well, you're smoking crack because nothing's wrong. The tests say you're fine. I was like, yeah, I mean, who's going to go with, but my gut instinct says something's wrong. For so a second, for, oh, hold on, for a second, when you, I thought you were going to say that you literally were smoking crack. And I'm like, oh. really? <laughs> you're like, I'm like, wow, crack? you have crack addiction too? <laughs> you're like, that was some year. That was, was <laughs> you a rough one, Terry. took that hard. Okay. No, not no crack and no goiters. Okay. Carry on. No goiters. So I literally go surgeon shopping in New York City until I find someone, the head of surgery at Beth Israel, who was willing to basically take out the other half of my thyroid based on my non-medical intuition. And when I go in for the, um, to actually get the results, he says, oh, interesting pathology. And now I'm not such a cancer virgin anymore. So the first time around, I was such a cancer virgin when the doctor said, well, it's malignant. I said, oh, is that the good one? Mm-mm. He was like, oh, well, not really. Um, this guy said, interesting. I said, oh, because it's malignant. He said, not only was there a malignancy, but it's a completely different kind of cancer that's a more serious cancer that could move to lungs and bones. Oh, dear. Wow. So same surgery, same radiation, different, really a different prognosis. I mean, the prognosis is fine, but a different diagnosis because this was now a different kind of cancer. So I was like, yeah, good thing we test, you know, trusted my non-medical mm-hmm. intuition, but that was a lot to deal with. So 
that was less than a year into my relationship with my husband. Um, you know, everything is new. I'm starting a new practice. I, I'm not masterful at anything. I inherit teenagers. I have no friggin' idea what I'm doing anywhere in the world. And so finally, I'd say we're now we're coming upon the year mark. And Vic and I get engaged. What I like to say is the second happiest day of my life. <laughs> the happiest day is my wedding day. And we're going out to um, we're going out to celebrate. And it's it's this summer. And he's outside in the car waiting for me. We're going to go into the city. And we lived in Jersey, but right outside the city. And I'm in the bathroom, and I hear him say my name in this weird way that I can't even describe. He's not. He's a Pisces. He's completely mellow, not impatient at all. He knew I was in the house. Just I was just going to the bathroom. It would be very unlike him to be like, hurry up, what are you doing, you know? But he just said my name, and I could hear him, and I said, I'll be right out, I'm just washing my hands. So then I, I literally walk out onto the back porch. I can see the car, and the lights are on, but all I can see, because it's pitch black, is the funnel, like those light funnels, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to understand what I'm seeing, and it looks like, I, I, I can't make sense of it at first. It's like this very muscular wedge of a body, that has a white tank top on, but it's like crouching in this weird way. And then when I finally can focus, I'm trying to see the face. I thought maybe it was one of the boys because they were all very tall, even as young teens. Mm -hmm. And I look and I realize that the person who's crouching has a stocking over their face. So their features are all flattened out. And I'm like, oh God, that can't be good. So I look down and he's kneeling on Vic's back and has a gun to the back of Vic's head. Oh my God. So we got robbed at gunpoint, basically in our backyard with one of the boys on the third floor. Thank God nothing happened to Ben, who was in the house. You know, so, when, so your stepson was home the whole time and while you were getting robbed and never saw. Yeah. It. Right, because we didn't oh my gosh. We, we get into the house. It was God. quiet. Okay. So, I mean, but you can imagine what was happening in my mind. <sighs> Jesus Christ. And okay. It was happening in Vic's mind. Like we were both losing it. So, you know, we get robbed. He takes what he wanted um, and leaves. He runs away. So we end up, you know, call the police to do the whole thing. But, you know, for me, this was what I like to say. This completed my Ph.D. in fear. So I went from being someone who was very, like, lived a pretty bold life, created my own luck all the way along, really hardworking, to now having this experience where I felt paralyzed with fear. I was afraid to be alone in my house, which, oh my God, pissed me off so much. Yeah. I was, I never felt safe. It was one of those traumatic responses, which of course, as a therapist, I knew what was happening. But as a human, mm-hmm. I was incensed. I was so pissed. I was like, I can't give anyone that power over me. And if I don't figure out this, my relationship to my fear mind, I'm never going to fulfill my dharma. I'm never going to rock my purpose in life if I let fear continue to really make my decisions for me. I was so uncomfortable with that. I was also exhausted. I couldn't sleep. I was, you know, I was afraid. I had a pit bull. I had, you know, a knife next to my bed and nothing made me feel safe. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, 
you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And so that was when I really dedicated my life to becoming an expert on the mind-body connection to fear so that I could free myself, of course, with the help of professionals and EMDR and trauma work and all, all the other things that I did to not be afraid to be alone in my own house. Um, but then I thought, wow, this is how my clients feel. My clients who are afraid all the time, who are worriers, who are constantly... Mm-hmm. In this fearful place, this must be how they feel. That's horrible. There has to be a better way. And so I actually really dedicated the next 18 years of my practice to becoming an expert at the mind-body connection to fear to help my clients not have fear um, dictate how big or small their lives are. Because when fear is driving the van of your life, trust me, it is a small life. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is a crazy story. Right. I was like on the edge of my seat listening, <laughs> which I'm Wait. sure all of my people are too. It was so scary. Oh I, my god! I didn't know that about you. I knew just you know for what little I know about you that you went through a lot in a short period of time. But I think what strikes me is just I love that you took responsibility and just said, I'm not going to live like this anymore, and and just felt all your anger and all the feelings that you had around it, like your human yeah. feelings. And chose a different path. Right. And I also love that you named all of the things that you did to get through that. I'm a big fan of EMDR myself and have gone through it, um, trauma work and and all of that stuff. Because, and I'm sure you agree, it's it's more than just saying, like, I'm done with this fear. Oh, oh, please. (laughs) I I, I said that a thousand times before it was away. I wanted to be done with it, you know. But it, it really requires, I mean, as a psychotherapist... Myself, you know, of course, I know it requires changing something in your brain. Absolutely. I mean, we're creating new neural pathways, right? A Mm -hmm. a new way of thinking, like habitual, fearful thoughts. Yeah. Just, I I would love to take this opportunity just a quick, I don't know, are you, do you do EMDR with your, with your clients or? I'm not a practitioner. I only from it. (laughs) Well, and I, I've mentioned it a few times on my podcast and I, cause I I interview therapists and I want to just take a moment really quick. I'll give you my definition of what it is and you probably have a way better one. (laughs) And this is how my therapist sort of explained it to me is that she said that 
basically it's a way to the theory is is that it helps heal your brain because like if we get a physical injury when we sleep our by our and we rest our body heals this physical injury. Well, our mind doesn't get the same opportunity. So what EMDR is sort of like reprograms, like you were saying, those neural pathways, because a lot of times just we just haven't caught up, like our brains haven't caught up to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I (laughs) explain it. Do you have a better way of explaining it, Miss Terry Cole, LMFT? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually LCSW, but yeah, close enough. (laughs) It's sort of like this set of standardized protocols that that it incorporates elements of a lot of different approaches. So I feel like why it's difficult to to put like an easy explanation on EMDR is that it's not um, it's not just one thing, right? It this is it is an evidence based psychotherapy for PTSD. Like that's what it started out as. Yes, and it didn't start like for war veterans. And- it did. Okay, it did. But here's the thing with this is that. It became when it first came out, like the the therapists of the day and all of the researchers around trauma were so shocked at how well it did, right? The successful outcomes were kind of mind blowing and then they became really well documented. And this was something then people were like, Wow, you know, you can use um EMDR for psychiatric disorders, mental health problems, somatic symptoms, mm-hmm. right? So basically, the model that EMDR is based on is adaptive information processing, AIP, right? And this is what psychopathology is due to this. The the belief is a lot of psychopathology is due to the maladaptive encoding and or the incomplete processing of traumatic or disturbing adverse life experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically, like people have really messed up situations that happen in their life and their brains don't process them correctly. Exactly. Okay. So this impairs the client's ability, right, to integrate these experience in some kind of an adaptive manner. That's why you have this disruption uh-huh. in your life. So uh-huh. EMDR is like a, it's, it's an eight phase, three pronged process, basically. And it facilitates clients resuming basically normal information processing and integration in their life. So it targets the past experiences and the current triggers, which is super important, yes. right? Like mm-hmm. what is it right now in your life that is triggering your traumatic response? And also it takes into consideration your future potential challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we, it alleviates the present symptoms and it, what the whole purpose of it is to decrease or eliminate the distress of these disturbing traumatic memories, right? It mm-hmm. improves your view of yourself because now you have a more clear view and it relieves the bodily reaction. So think about trauma. When you have a traumatic response, you have a super biological, physiological Absolutely. Mm-hmm. response. So anyway, we can I can say more about EMDR, but I feel like if anyone who's listening um, has a traumatic experience that continues to negatively impact and inform their life right now, Wow, I super encourage you to check out EMDR. And if you're not sure where to go, you can check online. And actually, Andrew, when we're done, I'll, I'll send you a link where people can look because there's there's Is so many EMDRIA.org. Yes, that's where I found my therapist. Yeah, and in the show notes, you guys, if you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash seventy six, all the show, all the notes to blog posts that we're going to talk about of Terry's and that EMDRIA.org will be in there, and you can search in your area for someone who's certified. 
Yeah, it's it's really, really amazing. I remember when I first heard about it years ago, I went to a, a trauma conference and this guy, his name is Basil Vanderkirk. He's a very famous trauma expert, was just describing like how his mind was blown. And he'd been working in the field of trauma for 30 years at that point, And that was probably 15 years ago. Um, and so I got super interested and I almost became certified. And then my life took this other more public turn with my platform. And I was like, you know, I have to decide, like, am I going to like hone in and be really be a trauma expert? Or am I going to facilitate bringing these therapeutic theoretical things to the masses in a way that makes them accessible? And then that's the route that Mm -hmm. I actually went. Yes. Um, And I I so thank you for allowing us to talk about it for a few minutes, because I've mentioned it. And I just I feel like and here's just one more note on that, you guys, is that I sort of poo pooed this kind of work because I felt like, and this is such a worthiness issue, I felt like my t- stories and my trauma just wasn't bad enough or good enough, however you want to put mm, it. And I'm mm, like, right. no, that's for war veterans. That's for people who have experienced, um, you know, violent rape or child abuse or or seen horrific acts. That's not for me. And, and really, it's anyone who's experienced any kind of traumatic event, however it is on the spectrum, um, I invite you to look into that. So... Yes, yes. Don't minimize. It's, exactly. If you feel like something in the past, the only criteria, according to me, is if you had a traumatic experience somewhere in the past that you feel like still limits, causes you stress or pain, or can be reactivated with a smell, a sound, a thought a that you're having place. a traumatic mm-hmm. response, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And I feel like so many people have that. Yes, no doubt. I love your. I love that definition. So, speaking of the past, you wrote a blog post um, called "Are You a Prisoner of the Past?" Where mm. you talk about um, really trauma, like we were just talking about, and possibly how it's affecting you today. So, for someone listening, how can they ascertain if they need help in that area with trauma work, or if they're ready for coaching, which focuses on more of a forward movement? I think you kind of just answered that question, but do you think there's anything more to say about that? I think that there is. So I think that that what would help um, you guys listening to basically uh, determine what what is happening for you. So do you have PTSD? What are the actual um, what are the actual symptoms of those things? How can you how can you figure that out? Right. So there's a whole list of questions and I won't go through all of them. But but there's ones that are that are helpful that you can probably just um, if I, I'm just going to mention a few mm-hmm. and you're going to be able to, I think, quickly say yay or nay, because either you're having these symptoms or not. So one big um, symptom of PTSD, they're generally grouped into about four types. So you have intrusive memories, avoidance, negative changes in thinking and mood or changes in emotional reactions. Right. Those are the four So let's just talk Mm. quickly. Intrusive memories. Symptoms of intrusive memories may include recurrent, unwanted, distressing memories of the traumatic event, right? So those are like flashbacks. Reliving it as if it were happening again. That actually, the the unwanted memory is not a flashback. That's a flashback minus the feeling, right? That's a... That's a feeling Mm -hmm. that still makes you stressed out. Mm -hmm. But an actual flashback is reliving the event and it feels like it's actually happening Happening. right Mm -hmm. now. Unsettling dreams about the traumatic event, severe emotional distress or physical reactions to something that reminds you of the event. Um, And then there's avoidance. Symptoms of avoidance may include trying to avoid thinking or talking about the traumatic event, avoiding places, activities or people that remind you of the traumatic event. 
negative changes in thinking and mood. And this one can be slippery, so let's go over them quick. Symptoms of negative changes in thinking and mood may include negative feelings about yourself or others, inability to experience positive emotions, feeling emotionally numb, mm. right? And you see how that can be slippery. Nobody ever feels like that, Terry. <laughs> who's numb? <laughs> Here's the thing. You, you may be so relieved that you're not experiencing the trauma. Well, let's help someone surviving, probably. Exactly. These are adaptive responses, and yet they become maladaptive really fast. Mm-hmm. Lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed, hopelessness about the future, memory problems, including not remembering important aspects of the traumatic event, difficulty maintaining close relationships. And then the last um, grouping is changes in emotional reactions, which can include irritability, angry outbursts, or aggressive behavior, always being on guard for danger, right? This this hypervigilance, we call mm-hmm. it where you're always looking over your shoulder. Overwhelming guilt or shame, which is so damaging. That one is so important that if you have this, you got to get help. Self-destructive behaviors such as drinking too much or driving too fast, right? Because you're almost seeking this this mood-altering and high-risk behaviors are like a response, a reaction to this. Trouble concentrating, trouble sleeping, being easily startled or frightened, which I had that forever after my experience, which was many years ago now, over 15 years ago. And I still, the only remnants I have of that being held up at gunpoint thing is I still have a heightened startle response. Mm. But in the beginning, it was terrible. I felt like everyone was sneaking up on me. I would constantly be saying to my husband, you scared me. He's like, gasping. I scared you. Anyway, so that, that should help people. And the other thing we'll talk about where if you're having these, any of these that we just discussed, and there are websites you can go on and look up PTSD and get more into the symptoms. This is something where you want to work with a trauma person. And if you have been violated in some way, if you have been raped, if you even if you were incested, even if it was a long time ago, in New York City, there's a place called Crime Victims Treatment Center, which is at St. Luke's, where these are trauma experts. And they'll do a number of sessions for free. In New York, it's 12 sessions. And then they will refer you out to a trauma person who will work on a sliding scale. So almost every decent city has some kind of place. And all of these places that are crime victim treatment centers, most of them are getting federal funding, which is how they can give you free Mm -hmm. stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that because a lot, you know, money is an issue for people getting therapy. And I want to make sure that you realize that you don't have to have money to get help for traumatic responses. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate this conversation because I think a lot of people, um, you know, and I, if I can just speak really frankly here, it's like they they see my brand online and they're like, oh, yay, I can, you know, shake a fist at that. Yay, or kick ass life. But it's and and they're they think they're ready for coaching and then I might work with them. But then there's like this underlying stuff that you, I, I feel like what I see in my experience is like you can get to a certain point, but it's kind of like a rubber band. And then if you haven't yeah. dealt with like that deep trauma stuff, it, you come yeah. snapping back. Yeah. And that's where that's why I like to really differentiate the difference between therapy and coaching and, you know, who coaching is for and who therapy is for. It doesn't make anybody wrong. I mean, I think. 99% of the population could use EMDR and, and you know, all those things to, to help you get through your stuff. But um, no, but I think you're talking about being effective. You're, you're, yeah. you're wanting to inform your listeners of, cause here's the thing. Coaching is great. Therapy is great. Trauma work is great. Mm-hmm. The question is you're helping people be able to identify what do they need? Because one thing comes before the other, if you're actually going to be successful. 
Absolutely. For sure. And that's really the bottom line of it. So speaking of embracing change, one of your other favorite blog posts that you wrote, you talk about surrendering and being comfortable there. And I selfishly like to talk to my guests about surrender because it's the thing I struggle with the most. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone just along with me for the ride. So where do people start with this, with the whole concept of surrendering to change? Well, part of it is, you know, my teacher, David G is his name. He's amazing. And he says this thing that is so true, which is that the only thing we can ever count on for sure is that everything will change. It's true. And, and yes, it's true. <laughs> and it's, that is something that, you know, Deepak also, Deepak Chopra is a, a mentor of mine and I've, I've studied with him pretty extensively over the last 15 years and I love him. And he talks about being okay in the unknown and he reframes it. And basically many years ago, he was like, daddy, the infinite possibilities of your life exist in the not knowing. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) (laughs) I would have LOL'd at that. (laughs) I I was trying not to. I love him so much that I was like, like, yes, it is exciting, (laughs) teacher. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I mean, the, the two things that I can say about change is that when you change your frame about the way that you look at it, the illusion of things staying the same The life cycle tells us that it will never be the same. You're not the same person now, Andrea, who woke up. 
you have shed all these cells, these cells have died and new ones are born. We're not the same. And the truth is we don't really want to be or we'd be bored out of our minds. Mm-hmm. What interested you at 18 wouldn't interest you now. I mean, most things, you know. And so part of it is the threat, the feeling of being threatened by change. If we can look at it through another frame, which is to basically say, I embrace change. How do you start? Is by just stop fighting it. Mm-hmm. How I look at change is that when you resist change, it's like you're swimming upstream. And what happens when you swim upstream? You're tired, you're exhausted, you're not really getting anywhere, you can't even look around and see anything because you're just so focused on looking down. Mm -hmm. So how about you flip over and float and now you're going with the current. Take a deep breath, look around, look at all of the beauty that is around you every minute of every day as you're living in your head and you're missing your one-of-a-kind amazing life. So change, you can't stop it. That's literally like, imagine how futile it would be. And we would never do this. Imagine if you were like, I just am not going to give in to to gravity. No gravity for me. I'm not (laughs) doing gravity. For you, gravity. That's right. I'm not doing it. I'm going to throw up this book and it's just going to float. Well, it's not. And this is the same exact thing. And yet we don't look at it that way. And it is actually just as nonsensical. Mm -hmm to be fighting it. So embrace change, embrace aging. This is something because of where I am in my life, that the changes that are, that seem superficial, but they're physical, the physical changes that you go through as you age, it is (laughs) real. Yeah. It's, I hear that. Um, I turned 40 this year and things, things are a change in, and it's, here's, I'm, I'm kind of like, listening to what my listeners are probably thinking right now. And I think some of them are thinking, if I embrace change, then I am a slacker. So it's like my my people, my lovely ass kickers are dichotomous thinkers and it's black or white. So either I, I make up that they look at change as just like throwing their hands in the air and just totally surrendering. But if that's y'all listening, my answer to that is, and this is this is really what I try to strive for every day, one hour at a time. Embracing change and surrendering and at the same time honoring what's important to me. And and really this comes down to values work. And my Mm -hmm. most important are faith and courage. And as long as I can stand in those two things, in faith and courage, Mm -hmm. then I'm okay. Then I'm really working and doing like my purpose on this earth. Right. I wonder though if your ass kickers who are listening – could look at it from the point of view that it's an illusion that this whole illusion of control i have had many successful careers i've made and lost a shit ton of money like i know how to use my will to (laughs) control my destiny i really do and yet over the last 10, 15 years as I've really gotten on this spiritual path, this evolutionary path, not spiritual really God per se, spiritual like the universe, spiritual like, Mm. wow, what are the laws of the universe? Like what is actually happening? I realized that there there was a much simpler, less stressful, less white knuckling it way 
of achieving my goals and that there is a sweeter way of experiencing things than all of this type A, forward motion, king of the universe, master of all thing. Because the truth is, you're not the master of all. (laughs) You are just the master of you. What you think. You can't change that shit is changing all the time. You have no power to change gravity. This is life. And so part of it is realizing that you are seriously clutching this illusion of control to your chest. But if you can let it go and continue to, there is no giving up. When I say surrender from a type A, uh, you know, workaholic personality, of course, that's going to be heard as giving up, throwing in the white, you know, the white flag. That's not what it is. It's working smarter, not harder. It's allowing yourself to expand into what is real. It is taking the time to rock profound self-care, doing things that matter, adding value, learning about yourself, being on a true evolutionary path while you continue with your kick-ass life and career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's different. So when I say surrender, I mean surrender to what is like the law of gravity, (sighs) right? So when you waste time, when we waste time, and I see this in my therapy practice, you use a a simple um, example. I had a friend who lived in LA, she worked on movie sets television set so that's long long crazy hours like long standing show and every time i talked to her for a long time for years she would tell me exactly how how many hours of traffic she sat in that week so on the 405 i sat in this i did that you know what i mean and i was like wow wow and and it was not a good thing she wasn't listening to deepak chopra on tape or sniffing sniffing you know lavender oil or calling friends who she hadn't spoken to i mean she did call me to complain but i mean And my point, I always thought, wow, this is so crazy. This is like um, Einstein, right? Doing the the same exact thing, expecting Mm -hmm. a different result, right? That's the definition of insanity. And I think that there's something about being attached to this, um, living in this non-reality. So if that person at my office hadn't, you know, talked to me before I left, I would have hit the 405 at the right time and I wouldn't be sitting in this traffic. And I like to say to my clients, okay, well, that's all well and good. And if I were born 5'10", it would all have been different, but I wasn't. So it isn't. (laughs) So how about you're sitting in your friggin' car 20 hours a week? Why don't you learn French or Spanish? Or, oh my God, quit your job if it's so Right, what a concept. But Uh like, wow, stop talking about the same bullshit because I want to kill you. And it's so boring. And you're wasting your beautiful life because you could be in your car 20 hours a week literally learning a language, uh-huh. talking to friends, doing something, listening to music, listening to books on tape. Listening Why to Terry's not? podcast. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> listening to Andrea's podcast, right? Yes. Oh, yes. You're probably striking a chord with, with some people listening. I, I have one more question with you before sure. we bid our farewell. And I would just like to know what surprises you about the people that you work with? Oh, so much. I'm, I love my clients so much. I have a very small, at this point, a really small practice because of all the other things I do, but I love my people. The, the he, resiliency of the human spirit never ceases to awe me. Mm-hmm. 
It surprises me that people can have the most messed up things happen, the most hateful things happen, the most painful, sadistic things happen to them in their life, and they can turn around and become like a world-recognized doctor helping people in the Congo. Like, Mm -hmm. instead of identifying with the aggressor and becoming an abuser, people can identify with the victim and not by staying victimized but by coming a by becoming a superhero basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that just blows my mind in such a profound way and it's such a an honor and a privilege to be any kind of a catalyst and to be a witness for people doing amazing things in the world yeah I love that. I, I ask this question to several of my guests and I always get a different answer and it's just always beautiful. So thank you for that. Sure. Thanks for having me. This was so much yeah. fun. You have to come on my podcast. Well, t- I, I will. And tell everyone, because I mean, you guys, who doesn't want to hear more of that sultry voice and the wisdom of Terry Cole? So tell everyone where they can find you and about your podcast and all of your things. All right. Well, you can find me at terrycole.com. My podcast is called Hello Freedom with Terry. Hello Freedom. Hello, I just want to free- sing whenever I see that on Instagram. Right. <laughs> um, and you can, you know, hit me up on social media. I love, I mean, I do sometimes spontaneous Q&As just anywhere. I'm going to start doing periscoping because, oh my God, people are torturing me. So I'm just going to start doing it <laughs> because I just want to do spontaneous Q&As. Anytime anyone has a question about their life, trauma, love, sex, money, anything, dreams, I want to talk about it. So look for me on Periscope soon. I don't know when you're publishing this, though. (laughs) December. We're in December. Yes. Perfect. So by December. Everything you just heard, you guys, is at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 76. You can find all of it, including the blog post that we mentioned. So thank you again so much for being here. And of course, I will come and be on your podcast. And that's it, you guys. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.